Today we close our kind of fall series talking about um, emotional, spiritual health. And the title of today's message is, is really important because there's a word in there that is super necessary for us to wrestle with and, um, and understand um, the, the need for it. So the title of this message is Rethink Your Rules for Life. Rethink your rules for life. And we're going to be talking about developing a rule for your life. And I don't know if you're like me, but I uh, am a bit of a maverick and I don't like rules. Uh, I don't like rules that other people make for me. And so that word rule meant carry some stuff. But I want to show you just how important um, having a rule of life is. There's an, an old story, and I forget where it's from. I think it might be from Canada or someone up north where it's like cold, re like really cold, um, really fast. And, and there, there's these stories of these farmers who, um, you know, would leave their house and go to their barn and do work. And then a snowstorm, a blizzard would come without warning really fast. And, and the snowstorms would be so intense that and you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And it was just blinding whiteness everywhere. And, and there's stories of, of people like freezing to death, literally lost in their own backyard. There's some um, cases where farmers were trying to make it back to their house and were a few feet from their back door, but didn't know it and just gave up and like just fell down and died and froze to death. And they, because they couldn't see, they were disoriented. They didn't know where they were. Um, and, and that's such a kind of a, a like a, a tragedy to be lost in your own backyard or to not know where home is or to even be um, trying to get back into safety and warmth and to be a few feet away and not know it because of how blinding the snow is and to die just right close to, to, to hope. Um, and so what farmers began to do was tie a rope from their back door to their barn so that um, in the event of a, a like a, like a, I don't know if they're, we have flash floods here, I don't know if they call them like flash blizzards, but just like a, a fast moving blizzard comes in and you're out at your barn, you can literally hold the rope and find your way back to warmth and safety and inside your house. And, and if you have that rope, you don't need to see. You can trust where this rope is, is taking you. And I think that's an incredible illustration for what a rule of life can be. Um, to, to use another analogy, um, I when we built our house, we we um, we built a what's called a hog wire fence, which is basically some fence posts with like a I think they're like four inch by four inch grids of metal, and they're kind of see through. And when we did that, we planted um, star jasmine at the bottom, and the plant was like maybe this big. But as that vine grew, uh, and even now, about once a week, once every two, because I go out and I take that vine and I train it along. Um, the, the, the trellis, the hog wire, and I'm giving this delicate, beautiful plant that in the spring blooms these like white star flowers that smell like perfume. It's amazing. Um, but I'm giving it something to crawl on. And if I didn't have this trellis or this hog wire or this structure um, for the vine to grow on, it would just be ground cover. And it would be maybe fine, but it, it certainly wouldn't grow up and it wouldn't grow outward and it wouldn't um, provide kind of a, a, a some privacy for 
our yard and, and for our kids, and it, and it certainly would be pretty if you looked down on the ground, but now when you're driving by, you can, in the spring, you just see like this wall, this like fence full of like flowers, and you walk by, and like this, the flowers are like at nose level, so you can smell them where on the ground, you might be able to smell them a little bit. So the, the, the point there is, is that that hog wire or that fence or that trellis or that rule um, doesn't exist to really control or, or dominate the life of the vine. It actually exists to enable it. Just one last analogy, in our bodies, we have a skeleton system. We have a, a system of bones. And, and that's, that skeletal system doesn't exist to, to control us, um, but that skeletal system enables us to move. We have a muscular system, or some people have a muscular system, and that muscular system doesn't keep us from moving. It enables us to lift things and to move and to run and to do things. We have a nervous system, and, and the nervous system exists to help us feel right? So sometimes in church, when you talk about systems or you talk about rules or you talk about some structure or you talk about intentionality in this stuff, some people can mishear that and, and they can think, oh, this is religious or this is legalistic or this is works-based. And, and we're not talking about any of that. Like we're not today, we're not going to be talking about earning your way into the love of God or earning your way into salvation. We're not talking about anything that's meant to constrict or, or, or to, um, to be like overbearing. Um, we're talking about an appropriate, organic way for life in the same way that your body has many different systems that enable you to live. Um, just like a fence like I talked about or just like the farmers up in Canada or, or somewhere up north and developed a very simple system of tying a rope um, from their barn to their house so that they can find their way back in a storm. And you know, your house has, has a heating and cooling system and an insulation system, an electrical system and a plumbing system and uh, a roof system and a water displacement. You know, like, like all these things work together for your life, for your health, for your shalom, for your well-being for your flourishing. And so I wanna encourage you, as we talk through like some intentional rules, I, I want you to have that frame of like, this is for your life, right? Um, it, it, you know, just like how Jesus said, um, the man was not made for Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man, right? It, when we keep the Sabbath, really the Sabbath is keeping us, right? So that's kind of the frame in which we're going to be talking about. If you um, have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read about five verses there. If you've been around church, you probably know where we're going with this, but it's an incredible little passage from the early church that we can learn a lot from. As you turn to Acts 2, just want to remind us why we've been talking about this. Why have we been spending two months uh, in doing a course behind the scenes with, with like a, about a dozen people on emotional health? Frankly, I grew up in church, and, and I can probably count the amount of sermons I've heard on one hand about loving God with your emotions. Um, I, as a pastor, uh, was trained to, um, you know, uh, every week give a 30 to 45 minute sermon that really, you know, stirs the mind and gets people thinking and, and teaches people. And that is super important. Like the Great Commission is to go make disciples, baptize, and to teach people the way Jesus. That's super important. Like we're not discounting that. But I think often we can um, maybe overemphasize, um, or, or not, maybe that's not overemphasizing, but we, we emphasize loving God with our mind 
And we don't really talk about or disciple people into loving God with your heart. Jesus did say to love the Lord with all your mind, your heart, your soul, and your strength, right? So um, as we talk about um, having an emotional, healthy spirituality, um, if you struggle with this in any way, and I don't know if you do, I haven't heard of, of anyone who has, but um, what we're really talking about is, is loving God with a part that he said we should love him with, which is our heart, our will, our, our, um, like the, the seat of our conscience as, 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 the, as Jewish people um, see the heart. Um, not, the heart, not the cardiovascular muscle, but the heart, the center of who we are, which includes our feelings, right? Which includes our family history, which includes our limits, which includes how we process grief and loss and change and disruption. My friends, I mean, if the last two years has taught us anything, frankly, it's taught us that so many of us, including me, are emotionally unhealthy in our love towards God and our love towards others. So today, we are kind of wrapping up the, the first half of emotionally healthy discipleship, which is uh, emotionally healthy spirituality, which is emotionally healthy loving God, right? In the new year, we haven't decided the dates, but sometime in early 2022, we're going to talk through how to love people uh, how to have an emotional, healthy relationships, how to love people horizontally. If you've been around church for a minute, you know, massive need. Uh, and if you've been around church or your family for the last two years, you know, massive need. I mean, maybe everyone says this, I think it's true. I don't remember a time more polarizing than now. I don't remember a time where, where people are so quick to cancel each other's relationships over differences. Um, I don't remember a time where there seems to be a lack of uh, what's called differentiation, which is like, well, if you don't believe everything how I believe it, I can't be friends with you. And, and we even see that not just, I'm not talking church, I'm talking family. And if none of this makes sense, in a few weeks, you might have Thanksgiving and all this is gonna make sense to you. So today we're wrapping up the kind of the, the first half of that, loving God with our emotions. And in the spring, we'll move to the relationship. So Acts chapter two, uh, just a couple of verses. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And that's really the verse we're gonna be focusing on today, but we'll read the rest of it because it's wonderful. And here's kind of the effect of what um, happens when they were devoted to these things. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Man, I would love that. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Amazing. 46. And day by day, check this out, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Hear the word of our Lord. What I would love for you to see in this like classic example from the New Testament church is how intentional the early church was here. This was not accidental. Um, it says, and I think Maybe the, the word I want to point out to you today is the third word in that first sentence we read, devoted. 
they were devoted. They were devoted. And, and, and maybe a question to ask yourself is, are you devoted to the things that this early church group was devoted to? And if not, why? If, if those close, literally closest to Christ found it necessary to devote themselves to these things, why don't we? Why don't we? The early church was incredibly intentional and devoted to these things. And, and listen, unlike today, it wasn't convenient and it wasn't comfortable. It actually was uh, dangerous. It, this was not safe for them to do. Um, for the first 300 years, if you know Roman history and church history, it was illegal to be a Christian, not until the Edict of Milan, when Constantine declared Christianity to be the official religion of Rome, which was a, a political thing because he was losing numbers and, and realized he was gonna wake up one day with a knife in the back. Um, just, you know, he's persecuting over half of, of the Roman Empire. He, he made a decision, maybe we shouldn't persecute Christians, they're outnumbering us. Um, but for, for 300 years, it was, I mean, all the disciples died. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul, who was Saul, who persecuted the church, was, was persecuted for being a Christian. And it, so you gotta, you gotta realize, I mean, and we haven't even gotten to, like, the stoning of, of, of some of these early followers. This came at a great cost to them. Their devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to, to the Lord's Supper, communion, breaking of bread, to prayer, it cost them something. It wasn't convenient and it wasn't comfortable. It was actually very dangerous and life-threatening um, to them. Um, uh, the early church did not have this view that, that God was their genie which is so prevalent in, in, in American Western Christianity, is that somehow, like God is a footnote in our story, um, or, or, or that, to use another, maybe a business language, is that God is junior partner in my life. Like, I am in control of my life, and God's the junior partner, and when I need him for support, or when I need him to go do something I don't wanna do, that's when I pray, that's when I turn to him. And, and I mean, listen, I know you don't want to hear this, but so much of my experience as a pastor has been trying to disciple people who only serve God because it's comfortable or because it's the cultural thing to do or because it's convenient or because they might get something out of it or because they're afraid of hell and they want eternal fire insurance or, or because they, they believe God looks more like Disney's Aladdin than Yahweh. <laughs> my friend, th th there's so much immaturity here. But when you look at the early church, they were devoted to these things, and it cost them so much. And, and, and I, I want you to see that. There's at least four things we can see here that they're devoted to. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to um, um, how God has revealed himself um, through, the, the, in particular, the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And we believe that in Jesus, God came down and moved into the neighborhood and showed us what it's supposed to be like. And the apostles teaching those whom, whom Jesus commissioned to go into the world, make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and to teach everybody, all people, the ways of Jesus and the things Jesus commanded them. The early church took that seriously. Um, we know, you know, they didn't have the Bible as, as we have it bound, but they had their scriptures. Jesus talked about the scriptures. Jesus quoted the Psalms more than anything. In Matthew's gospel alone, I think Jesus quoted 
um, the Old Testament 98 times at least. You know? so, so the Old Testament, the, the, the scriptures of their day, was, was constantly on Jesus' lips. And if you, you know, Advent's coming up and there will be much made about Mary's Magnificent. And I, I forget the number, but there are, she's 14 when she sings this song on the spot. And there's, I think it's something around 20-ish references to the Old Testament. 14-year-old Virgin Mary going like high school musical on the spot. Just like, I mean, could you write a song on the spot? And could you write a song that references the Old Testament 14 times or 20 times when you're 14 years old? I mean, there's a devotion to uh, the scriptures. Um, this is one reason why um, why the Apostles' Creed is so important. We haven't done a great job of incorporating that in our, in our worship time. And I've been thinking and talking to others on how, how could we incorporate um, confessing the Apostles' Creed in a way that makes sense to us, that isn't like high, high church, but just makes sense to our DNA. And uh, we haven't figured it out yet, but but uh, that's one of the things that's so important it is, in particular, the Apostles' Creed is, is what every Christian everywhere at all times has ever believed. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, the Apostles' Creed is literally the definition of what it means to be Christian. Uh, the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the faith that was being handed down to them. Often we talk about, and this is like a side note, but often we talk about our faith. And, and while our, our faith is personal, it's not private, but you know, and particularly Jude, in, the, in Jesus' brother, he talks about the faith. And I think there's a difference there between our faith and the faith. Um, it, it is the faith that is passed down to us. It's not our faith that we've engineered or edited to meet our needs. And so I wanna encourage you to ask you, am I devoted to the apostles' teaching? Am, am, I, um, you know, am I really committed to uh, learning and studying and chewing on and meditating the faith that was handed down? Um, maybe the faith wasn't handed down to you. Maybe some um, kind of bastardized version of Christianity that's anti-gospel and anti the heart of God was handed down to you. And, and, and you should be wrestling with that. And uh, in many ways that the prophets did, in many ways that John the Baptist did and Jesus did and St. Paul did. Um, that's totally fine. But uh, I want to encourage you, are you devoted to the apostles, to the teachings of Jesus. We'll clarify it there. The other thing that they were uh, devoted to was fellowship. My mind often goes to like, oh, that's like when we talk and hang out. But really the meaning here is is more connected to sharing. Um, And not just like, oh, fellowship, I went there and we talked for five minutes before service or after service, but really share. Fellowship is, is more about sharing. Um, sharing our lives together, sharing the highs, sharing the lows, sharing the mundane. Um, when in need, when someone's in need, sharing um, where God's blessed us. When we're in need, sharing that need and, uh, and opening ourselves um, for the body of Christ to meet that need to us. Um, sharing our time and our prayers and our energy. Um, fellowship is way deeper than like how I showed up and talked to some people. This has actually been pretty tough in the pandemic because of um, the nature of the health crisis we've been in is, is fellowship has been really hard to do and, and people have become uh, more isolated. Um, but I think the, also the hope is, is because this thing has stretched on for so long, I, what I see in so many people is this 
this like hunger and fresh appreciation for the need for fellowship. And I'm excited to begin to walk in that and, and rebuild that. Third thing that the early church was committed to, this was their rule of life. This was their trellis, was the breaking of bread. And there's kind of two ways to look at this, and I think both are true. Um, one is like, hey, we hang out and we, we eat together. Um, there's an old saying that if you take... Um, all the mountains and meals out of the Bible, you'd have a pamphlet. And I love that. And it really um, highlights how central food is to the scriptures. Um, even in, like, you know, Psalms 23, he prepares a banquet for me in the table of my enemies, you know? Or like in the Psalms, uh, in the other Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, so, so, so often food is at, is at the center. And so I, I think it is right to, to talk about breaking of bread as being, you know, we should... Uh, not just be eating by ourselves. And, and, and we should not just be eating with our family, but we should be eating with our brothers and sisters who are in Christ, and even those who are on the outside of the faith, breaking bread that way. Uh, I think a more truer sense of this is the breaking of the bread of, of communion, of the Eucharist, of the Lord's Supper, that, that there was a commitment to, to celebrating this memorial of Christ's death for us. It's one of the reasons why we celebrate communion, why we break the bread every Sunday. Um, the, uh, and the last thing they were devoted to was prayer. Um, and there's really three types of prayer. There's the prayer that most of us are familiar with, with which is where we talk to God, right? Then there's um, the, the prayer that, that some are familiar with, which is God talks to us. And then there's the prayer that so many people haven't even experienced, which is the prayer where you're not talking to God, God's not talking to you, but you're just with God. You're just with him in his presence. And there's no agenda. There's no like maybe needs that you're asking for. But you're just, you're just with him. Um, in a way that maybe if you saw a couple who had been married for 50 years and they're sitting in the living room together, they're not necessarily chatting each other up. They've talked about everything, but they're, they're sharing presence. They're with, they're, you know, they're with one another. That's a form of prayer that we haven't really leaned into a whole lot. But these were the four things that the early church was committed to. This was their, we call it their rule of life, at least part of the rule of life, which is they were devoted and committed to um, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing with one another, living life with one another, breaking the bread, the Lord's Supper, and meals, and uh, prayer. And here's the thing is as we as you build that structure into your life, as you build that hog wire fence or you tie that rope to the door or however you want to kind of think about it, what it enables you to do, it enables your life to grow up into the love of God. That's really the point of all this. The point is not, okay, um, am I doing these things to get approval or to be saved or what? No, 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 no. The point of these things is, is as we're devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayer, what happens is our life ceases to be ground cover and it starts to grow up and branch outward and become a tangible, visible sign that glorifies God, that is a sweet fragrance in the air, in the community, and, and it enables us to be all that God has designed us to be. Now, we don't earn it. But it does require some intentionality. It does require some devotion. It does require some effort, right? So um, I just want to submit to you this idea that, that um, everybody has a role of life. You, you have a role of life. 
Everybody has a rule of life, but most of those rules are unconscious. Most of those rules have been developed over a, a period of time and, and they just kind of get installed as habits and we don't really think about it. Like, like every morning I brush my teeth and I drink coffee. There's never a morning where I don't first brush my teeth and drink coffee. It doesn't matter if I'm in the hospital where we just had a baby, or if I'm camping, or if I'm on vacation, or if I'm sick. Like, in all those situations, I will still brush my teeth and have coffee, no matter what. That's a rule, of that's a, trail, that's a habit that I've installed into my life. No matter what, no matter what the circumstances, I, I always do that. Everybody has a rule, but I think most of us have unconscious rules, and there's very few of us that have a conscious, a conscious rule of life. And I wanna encourage you as we wrap up this series today to think about what you're thinking about, to, to think about the rule of life or the hog wire you've put up in your life spiritually or the rope you've tied or your, your skeletal system or your muscular system or your nervous system or however you wanna define it. Um, to, to, to make those unconscious things conscious. Um, I wanna give you just like a sample in, in case you're like, well, Drew, what does this look like? Here's a sample that you can take and you can run with and make your own. And um, we'll, we'll put like a little graph on the screen, but basically you draw a box and then draw like four quadrants. So you've got, you know, one, two, three, four. And, and these, um, I think the content of these is less important, and what is more important is that you're thinking about these things. But, but really, um, kind of the, the, the template that Pete Scazzaro gives out that works for him and that, that I'm currently working with, and it, it works for me, and I have not yet found a way to improve on it, but I'm sure there are, and, and you might have ways to improve on it, and that's totally okay, but is to develop a rule of life around four areas. The first being prayer, the second being rest, or fun, the third being work and activity, the fourth being relationships. Prayer, rest, work, and relationships. You should have a rule or a fence or a trellis or some structure or a rope that will help you um, give priority to these four things, to your work, to your fun and rest, to your relationships, and to prayer. I want to give you just kind of an exa some examples that might help your imagination. In, in, I'm, I'm doing less prescription here and more description here, but my, my aim is to kind of give you some ideas to like, okay, well, I could, I could do that. And before I get into that, um, this might seem overwhelming to you. I remember the first time I looked at this, I was like, oh, I got anxiety. I was like, I don't have time. I don't have time to even think about this. And, and what I want to say is, number one, that's okay. And number two, if you feel like that, maybe that's a sign that you need this, you know? And I know like when I felt like, oh, I don't even have time to think about it, it's because I'm like frazzled and hurried and I'm all over the place. I don't have the margin to, um, to work on this stuff. And, and so I wanna encourage you, if you do start to sense like, this is overwhelming, that's okay. Maybe that should be a sign that you should give in, that you should work on this and just start with one. Start with one or two things. You don't have to do the whole thing. 
under prayer, under the box of prayer, this is like, what's your plan for scripture? What's your plan for silence and solitude? What's your plan for having a daily office or having times where morning, noon, or night, or all of those above? You're, you're, you're scheduling time to just stop and be with God in simple ways. Um, what's your plan for study? I'll, I'll just highlight one of those in that scripture, and it's something that um, I have been um, beginning to do um, recently, which is to value the Psalms. We're realizing that Psalms was um, really the prayer book of Israel. It was like their book of common prayer, and it was the book Jesus quoted the most. It was his, you know, seemingly his favorite scripture in the Old Testament. And so I, the, the, the plan that I'm on, I, I'm pretty sure I'm able to read this, the entire Psalms every month. You know, there's a morning Psalm and an evening Psalm, and I've just kind of gotten into the habit of reading the Psalms every day. Sometimes it's like extended, and sometimes it's like a verse. But the, the, the point is building the habit of being in the Psalms. That's an easy way. Um, or you could do one that's like, you know what? Every month, I want to read the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That would be a great plan to have, and you could detail out like how you do that. Um, but I think that's an incredible rule of life. You know what? Like, what if, what if you read the Sermon on the Mount every you know, part of it every day, and every month you read those three chapters, and you just did that for a year. You did it for your life. Like, your life would be changed, and you would grow more into the love of God by simply developing a plan to do a little bit of reading of something very important every day. You know, you could do the same thing with silence and solitude, with uh, with prayer and study. But my hope is that under that prayer and that that your life with God, um, that that'll give you some examples. The the second area is like rest and fun. Um, under this would be like how what's your plan for Sabbath? What's your plan for simplifying your life? What's your plan for a play and recreation? Now, a couple of weeks ago, we did a sermon on the daily office. I've talked a lot about the Sabbath. Um, I think it's one of the disciplines most people, um, even after I teach on it all the time, most people still don't understand um, the Sabbath and, and the delight and the beauty that the Sabbath is and that you don't keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath keeps you. Um, but what I, I want to highlight one that might help you, and it's... Um, that's play. You know, as we've often said, you know, the last, the season that we're in, the last two years have been super hard. And what I've found for me is it's been hard to play. It's been hard to have fun. And so as I'm working on my rule of life right now, one of the things has been um, not like, okay, how do I ramp up my prayer life or how do I ramp up my scripture study? Um, those are great. One of the things that I'm, I'm trying to give my attention to and like the, the one thing that I'm focusing on here is like, how can I have fun? You know, I am, um, whenever I'm regularly having fun, I tend to show up with less anxiety and less fear for people. And I tend to be a better pastor and a more effective, healthy, loving pastor when I'm having fun. Now, you know, I don't make an, an idol out of this. Um, but you should have some things in your life that give you life. So a example of this, and I hope this just opens your creativity. For me, I found making a fire just brings me so much joy. And so uh, my birthday was recently, and so Shari, I asked for, and Shari got me a, a new fire pit. And my old fire pit was like rusting, and it was bad and and so um, she got me a new fire pit and it's beautiful and uh, I love being in the cold weather 
tending a fire, without my phone, without stuff, without distractions. There's, I, I don't understand it. I know many of you like this as well. There's just something about being outside when it's cold, tending a fire, building a fire, stroking the fire. You know, I bought an ax. We, we just chopped down a tree and I bought an ax and, and, um, and, and I'm learning how to split firewood. And to me, that's a spiritual discipline. I bought an ax. Um, I need to buy muscles apparently because it's hard work. But this is part of my rule of life is like, am I regularly going to make a fire and sit by it? Am I regularly going to chop firewood? And, and am, am I really gonna do that? Because that is actually fun for me. And when I do it, I literally feel the life-giving presence of God enter my body. That is, I, I'm recognizing that and I'm budgeting for that and I'm spending money on that and I'm spending time. And you know what? If like a week or two goes by and I haven't made a fire and it's, December and it's cold outside, there's a problem. Like I'm, I'm probably not growing in my love of the Lord. And so, you know, these don't have to be overly religious, uh, but they, they can be profoundly spiritual. Um, the, the third one is work in activity. I think this is huge. You know, under here could be obviously your vocation. It could be your service and mission, which would be outside of vocation. And, and then there could also be caring for your body. You know, like focusing on your health. Are you exercising? Are you are you running? Are you are you dieting correctly? Are you getting the right sleep? Just just having some things in place, some goals. Like, hey, you know what? I'm going to exercise three times a week for 30 minutes. Or or you know what? I'm going to eat less fast food and I'm going to eat um, more plants. Five, three times a week, or, or you know what, uh, instead of having ice cream every night, I'm gonna, you know, have some grapes, or you know, what, but get really specific, because you know what, as your body gets healthier, as you start to treat your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, you're going to grow in the love of God more. Um, uh, you know, one here, I would say is work, it's one of the things in the pandemic with people working from home, it is, is the boundary between work and home has disappeared. And what many people are finding is that they're working far more and, and, and they're not really recovering and resting because they're always at home and they're always at work and they're always available on a Zoom call or they're checking email at 10 at night. And maybe for you, your rule of life is really looking at how work has crept in to your life. And, and so for some of you, maybe the most spiritual thing you can do is to like say, you know what? I'm not gonna work past 40 or 50 hours a week and I'm going to turn the email off at 6 p.m. or I'm, you know, I'm, or I'm going to, you know, whatever. But for some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is start to put a boundary between your work if it's overtaking your life and, and like ruining your life with God and with others. The last one would be relationships, right? How is your emotional health? Are, are, do you have a plan to grow as an emotional person, which is, one reason why we've been doing this course. Um, um, how's your family? Do you have a plan um, for your family? Do you have a plan for your community? Are you are you developing friends? Several years ago, I realized, like, man, I I don't have a lot of friends. Like, I have a lot of relationships, but in almost all the relationships that I had, I was either pastor or boss, and and I realized, like, you know what, like. I don't have a whole lot of friends. And, and so a couple of years ago, I started to search out and, and cultivate and develop um, relationships 
um, where I'm not the most important or the most powerful person in the dynamics. And, and I've got a really good friend who's a neighbor who, um, who's not in our church and he doesn't work for me. And, and, and we talk, like we text and we talk and I visit his house and, and, and I'm on his turf and we, and I, and it's like just non-spiritual stuff. That's been so crucial is to just go, you know what? I need friends, you know? Um, you know, with my kids right now, we've got a third kid. And so I'm reevaluating, okay, how am I being intentional with Shari, with Hayden, with Grayson, and with baby Lucas? And, and I, I have to have a plan for how I am a husband and a father in these I can't just go on cruise control. So you know, blow through all that. And I just want to encourage you to, um, to take those, those four areas, prayer, rest, slash fun, your work and activity and your relationships and, and really begin to think, what's my plan? What are, what's my rope? What are my habits in these areas? And, and, and how can I maybe tweak these things to so that I can grow in the love of God more? Now, I would encourage you to pick like at most two. Don't look at, maybe you're like type A and you're like, oh, this is, and you're like Enneagram one and you love rules and you sleep with a clipboard under your pillow. And so you're like, I'm going for it, fine. But for probably most people, uh, this is something you like, you don't want to bite off more than you can chew, but pick one, pick one area and, 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 and do it do, do it with some ease. You know, the, the yoke of Jesus is easy and not hard. Last thing I want to share on this, one of my favorite quotes from Dallas Willard is that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Let that sink in. Um, I pastored long enough to know that anytime I get super down into the weeds on like practicals, which is meant to kind of inspire you to, to not just hear the word of God, but to be doers of the word of God, uh, lest you deceive yourselves. Um, some people hear that and like, oh, you're, this is workspace. No, 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 listen. When we talk about effort, we're not talking about earning. And there are people who, when they put their effort in, they are trying to earn their way into God's love. And that's against the gospel, that's silliness. That's not what we're talking about. But grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And so, you know, if you, as you approach your rule of life and your habits and all these things, I just wanna encourage you, you know what? If you nail this, God doesn't love you anymore. And you know, if you fail at it, God doesn't love you any less. If that was the case, the blood of Jesus would be weak, and I would say Christ probably died in vain because it wasn't finished, right? And so the gospel is simply, there's nothing you and I can do to add to the love of God, and the gospel is, there's nothing you or I can do to take away from the love of God. It is finished, Christ said on the cross. God loves you perfectly. However, as you put some effort as you put some intentionality, as you do like Philippians says, which is to work hard um, for your salvation. Uh, it's not that you work hard to receive it. It's that you put some effort in because Christ is the author and perfecter of your faith. But guess what? He's a gentleman and you've got to consent to it and you've got to open the door. Revelation says, he knock, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Christ is at the door knocking, but you got to open the door, right? So, so you have agency in this. You have agency in your relationship with God and with others. You've got agency in how you experience God's love. And so if you kind of press into having a rule of life, I want to encourage you, it will not make God love you more. But there's a strong chance, and I almost guarantee it, 
that you will experience more of the love of God. God won't love you more, but you will receive more of his love because you will be placing yourself under the faucet, so to speak. Like the, the faucet's on, the water's running, but by doing this, what you're doing is you're intentionally placing your life under the bucket to receive his living water. And it might feel like you're, like you're you know, because you're getting more of it. Some people think, oh, I'm, I'm earning. No, you're not earning it, but your effort has put you under the faucet. So I wanna encourage you with that. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Let us pray. Abba Father, everlasting Father, we give you thanks for the life of Jesus that you've given us. We give you thanks for this um, example in the early church of their devotion and, and what kind of happened in their lives and in their community as they grew more into your love. Lord, we give you thanks for that. And we also give you thanks that you don't do all the work. You do the important work. You do the saving work. But you invite us to come and follow. You invite us to take up our cross and follow. You invite us to take on your easy yoke and to surrender to you. And we, we thank you, Lord, that, that you love us enough to, to give us the opportunity to consent and to exercise our agency in the matter. And Lord, we know that that is not um, earning your love but that you do ask us to put in effort to meet you, to co-labor with you, to cooperate with you. But Lord, we know you started all. It is by you, through you, for you, in you, that we do all these things. And so I just pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters who are watching, listening, maybe those who feel overwhelmed, who feel like they are in the middle of a snowstorm and they don't know where home is. God, I pray you would put the rope in their hand and you would help them, guide them into the warm living room of your love. Lord, bring them to that place where um, they are able to use the mind you gave them. And they are able to love you with their mind as well as their heart, their soul, and their strength. And to develop a conscious rule for life, for the life of God for Zoe. And what I pray for our church, that you would grow us into emotionally healthy people who when the world sees us, they see people who have been with Jesus. That we would smell like people who had been with Jesus. That we would um, show others your love. And Lord, I pray more than anything that you would grow us into your love and you would pour more of your love into us. It's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.